want the Big Ten Championship, and we're going to win it as a team. No man is more important than the team. No coach is more important than the team. The team, the team, the team. When the old season is over, you and I know it's going to be Michigan again. Michigan. All right, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Run Pass Michigan, our RPM podcast here on The Athletic. I am Austin Meek. Nick Baumgartner uh, is not with us this week. He is, uh, as of this moment, I believe, at the hospital waiting for the birth of his second child. So an exciting time for Nick. Uh, We certainly wish Nick and his family well. Uh, I tell you what, he timed this pretty good. Uh, As somebody who has had two kids born during football seasons, uh, it can get a little bit crazy, but uh, with this late start to the Big Ten season, uh, perfect timing for Nick. So uh, he'll be back with us once the season gets going. Uh, but for now, uh, we've got some cool stuff planned. We're going to have Colton Pouncey, our Michigan State writer at The Athletic, is going to join uh, the show in the second half today to give us a lowdown on the Spartans and Mel Tucker's program. Uh, so we'll look forward to that interview with Colton. But to start off today, I wanted to talk about something that we talked about on the show last week with Nick. Uh, The big news at Michigan really over the last two or three weeks has been the emergence of Joe Milton as the starting quarterback. Uh, I've written about that a couple times. We talked with Josh Gaddis, the offensive coordinator at Michigan, a week ago. Uh, And I tell you what, Josh Gaddis is not one to hold back the praise. Uh, when uh, When he's high on a player, he will let you know about that. And certainly, Michigan's coaching staff is really high on Joe Milton. That's something that we've heard, you know, throughout the off season. Uh, this this had been, I think, building up uh, some momentum that Joe Milton was the guy that, you know, deep down in their heart of hearts, if you ask Michigan's coaches, you know, who who do you think uh, gives you the the highest upside at quarterback? It, the answer was Joe Milton. Uh, you know, that's to take nothing away from Dylan McCaffrey, uh, who you know did some you know did some good things in his career here, showed some signs. Uh, you know, I I think that in a normal off season that would have been an interesting battle between those two players. But reading between the lines, there was there was a lot of momentum for Joe Milton to win the job, and you hear that when you talk to Josh Gaddis you know, talking about the wow plays that Joe Milton makes in practice. You know, as Josh Gaddis puts it, plays that are not just wow plays on Saturdays, but would be a wow play on Sundays too. Uh, you know, he talked about Joe Milton having every club in the bag, including the one that you know you only need to pull out once in a while, uh, which I assume would mean Joe Milton's not going to throw 80-yard bombs every single play. But it's nice to have a guy who can do that when you need to. Uh, you know, when you get a guy open down the field, it's nice to know your quarterback can get it there. And that seems to be the story on Joe Milton. You know, he's got the arm, he's got the size, he's got the mobility. Uh, still a work in progress in some ways. And Josh Gaddis pointed out that, you know, the thing with Joe Milton, it's not accuracy uh, that's been his issue. It's more just touch and feel and understanding how to use that arm that he has, but also change speeds a little bit, throw a catchable ball. Uh, all of those things, you know, that, that's really where the work has been for Joe Milton. Uh, but it sounds like, you know, from everybody we've talked to, coaches, players, there's a lot of excitement around the program right now about Joe Milton. 
But the other side of that is there's also, I think, a lot of, you know, well-earned skepticism from people who have been around Michigan and feel like, hey, we've been through this before. We heard this about Shea Patterson, that he was going to be the guy. He was finally going to be the quarterback who was going to take Michigan to the promised land. Look, Shea Patterson wasn't a bad quarterback at Michigan. Uh, If you look at the list of guys who have thrown for 3,000 yards in a season at Michigan, it's a pretty short list. Uh, And Shea Patterson's on it. So he wasn't, you know, he wasn't a disaster here. Uh, But everybody who watched Michigan's offense last season understood that it was just too inconsistent. You know, at his best, Shea Patterson was good enough, I think, to take Michigan wherever they wanted to go. But at his worst, he wasn't very good. And, you know, that was was the rub for Michigan last year. You know, Shea Patterson and and really the whole team, they were just too inconsistent. You know, the the gap between a good day and a bad day was too wide. And I think the hope with Joe Milton is that he still gives you that, you know, that potential, that ceiling. You know, on, on a good day... You know, he's as good or better, you would hope, than anybody Michigan's had playing quarterback since Jim Harbaugh got here. Uh, you hope that his bad days are better than Shea Patterson's bad days because you know, there, there were a couple games last year where Shea Patterson was off in the bowl game against Alabama was a great example. Uh, and against a good team like that, your quarterback has to be dialed in. You're not going to be Ohio State you're not going to beat Alabama with mediocre quarterback play. You've got to have elite quarterback play. And that's, that's been the thing that's been missing at Michigan uh, is that guy. You, know, you look around at, at the teams and the quarterbacks in college football who get to the, get to the highest level, the guys like Trevor Lawrence, uh, the guys like Tua, guys like Justin Fields, um, that's what Michigan aspires to be. And Joe Milton now is appears to be the guy who has the next shot to get there. Um, you can tell that there's, you know, and I see this on, on social media, you know, the, the comments from, from fans, and it's totally legit. The, the people saying, oh, here's another Michigan quarterback that's being hyped up as the second coming and inevitably is going to be a a disappointment. You know, people come by that skepticism honestly. Look, I haven't been around here that long, uh, but I've seen enough and heard enough about Michigan to understand that there is that reputation here, that Michigan is a program that tends to get a lot of love in the preseason. Uh, You know, everybody is talking about Michigan. Is this the year for Michigan? Is this the year they finally beat Ohio State? Is this the year they finally make the playoff? Is it the year they finally win the Big Ten? You know, I I totally uh, appreciate people who have heard that now five or six years running and and are a little bit sick of it. You know, I I totally get that. Uh, So I guess the question is, how do we, how do we walk that line with Joe Milton? You know, how do we balance, uh, what seems to be a ton of legitimate optimism coming from this 
program from from the coaches and Joe Milton's teammates about hey this guy is is really good uh, this guy does some things uh, that not many other players around the country can do how do you balance that with what we know to be true which is that none of this really matters until we get a chance to see it on a Saturday and more than that you know, what really matters is is what happens in the biggest games of the season you know we're gonna see if things go according to plan we're gonna see Joe Milton get a shot at Wisconsin at Penn State at Ohio State can he deliver in those games you know that that's that's what it comes down to now I, I think that there is a really strong sense among Michigan fans and college football fans in general like hey I don't want to hear it anymore I just want to see it like, don't tell me how good this guy is in practice. Don't tell me all the amazing things he does when nobody can see it. Let's just wait until the lights come on and we see him on this field, and, and then we'll be able to make a determination. You know, I think that's fair. Uh, you know, as, as somebody who covers the team, I think that that's always kind of a tricky thing because, look, Coaches are never going to be 100% candid in how they talk about their players. Everything that coaches say publicly about their players is, is going to be filtered you know, in a way that they feel like gives them you know, the best advantage. Some coaches, and, and Josh Gaddis is like this, you know, some coaches will publicly pump up their players praise their players, you know, get into a little hyperbole maybe. Um, you know, it's not right or wrong. It's just a, you know, one perspective on how to do it. You know, maybe if you, you, know, you come out publicly and make a strong statement that you really believe in a player, maybe that gives him confidence. Uh, you know, maybe that gives your team some swagger. There's also coaches, and I've covered many coaches like this, who, you know, a guy could be absolutely tearing it up in practice and the coach's comment would be, well, you know, he still has some things to work on. You know, coaches who never want to give any unqualified praise, you know, coaches who always want to keep expectations in check. You know, there's a, there's a saying that you always want to uh, under-promise and over-deliver. You know, surprise people pleasantly rather than getting everybody's expectations up and then having people be disappointed. Uh, I tell you what, at Michigan, there's been a lot of over-promising and under-delivering. I mean, that's just, that's the reality of it. We, we can't escape that. Uh, and after going through that pattern a few times, you know, I think people are a little bit wary of, of buying into preseason hype about a player. So I think we have to, you know, we have to sort of Take it with a little bit of a grain of salt. You know, I, I'm, it's not worthless. Like when you know, when the offensive coordinator comes out and says, you know, yeah, this guy is, you know, this guy is really something special. He's got a, a special talent that not many players have. Yeah, you know, that that does count for something. Uh, you know, that that tells you something about how internally Joe Milton is viewed by the Michigan coaching staff. But you just have to. You, know, you do have to take it with a degree of caution that, okay, we're talking about now what this guy has done really without even the opportunity to, you know, to, to put on a set of shoulder pads and you know, go 11 on 11 and play full contact football. Uh, you know, 
that isn't something that's happened at Michigan since what last December. So there's really a lot that is going to have to be revealed over not only the next month leading up to the beginning of the season, but more importantly, what happens when the lights come on. And I guess the you know the question that I would throw out there, and you can. Uh, you can send a message on Twitter. You can uh, go on The Athletic, leave us a comment. What does Joe Milton need to do to live up to the expectations that already seem to be falling into place for him? Uh, you know, what is, what, realistically, what, what should we expect from Joe Milton this year? Because in all probability... He's not going to go out there and win the Heisman. He's not going to be Justin Fields. Um, I don't think that that's a reasonable expectation for what Joe Milton should be in his first year as a starter. But, you know, this is already, you can feel the the wheels turning here and the, the hype revving up. Joe Milton's got to be pretty good this year or... There are going to be people who say, oh, well, same old story at Michigan. Heard about this amazing quarterback in the preseason, and he didn't live up to it. Um, so we'll see. You know, I don't think Joe Milton's got to be first team all Big Ten this year. And there's some good quarterbacks in, in the Big Ten, and not just Justin Fields. And if, if Joe Milton is one of the three or four best quarterbacks in the Big Ten this year. I think you feel really good about that for a first-year starter, you know, given that Joe Milton still got a lot of football in front of him. You know, he's a, a redshirt sophomore, but with with this free year of eligibility that everybody has, Joe Milton could start, what, four more years at Michigan? No, I don't think that's going to happen. If he's anywhere as close to as good as we've been led to believe so far, I think you feel like, okay, he'll play this year and next year, and maybe he'll have a NFL decision to make. Now, that wouldn't be a bad thing for Michigan at all if, if Joe Milton is in the position of making an NFL decision uh, in a, a year or two. But I think, the to me, the baseline is, can he be one of the top three or four or five quarterbacks in the Big Ten this season? If he can do that, then... I think that there's there's the potential for him down the road that you see that you know, he could become that guy that Michigan has been missing. I don't think that we expect him to be that on day one. I mean, look, there's a reason why Justin Fields was the number one recruit in his class. Joe Milton was, what, a four-star prospect, a good prospect, uh, but not on the same level with guys like Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields. Doesn't mean that he can't become you know, that type of player at some point in his career, but it does mean that there's development that's going to have to happen. You know, He didn't just step on campus ready to be that guy. Most, most guys don't. Most guys don't show up on day one ready to lead a team the way the really elite quarterback recruits are capable of doing. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, there's nothing wrong with quarterbacks developing at their own pace. Uh, I think one of the questions with Joe Milton is, look, we all watched Michigan's offense last year. 
we all watched Shea Patterson struggle at times. And I think it's a totally fair question to ask. If Joe Milton is as good as we're being led to believe now, should he have gotten an opportunity to show that last year? You know, should Michigan have given him a shot last year? And that's a hard thing because Michigan had a senior quarterback. Uh, you know, they had, you know, they had cast their lot in a way with Shea Patterson. He was their guy, and to be fair, you know, Michigan was rewarded for that uh, at a certain point in the season. You know, Shea Patterson really struggled in the first month of the season. Was struggling to read the defense. Didn't look comfortable. Uh, it was not making sharp decisions. His accuracy was off. He he really struggled in that first month of the season. Uh, Michigan stuck with him, and that did pay off for that stretch late in the year. You know, against Michigan State, against Indiana, uh, Shea Patterson found his rhythm and eventually played some good football for Michigan last year. And that's why you stick with your senior quarterback. You know, you hope that it's going to come together for him. It did. Uh, At the end of the season, Ohio State, Alabama, those are going to be tough no matter what. But, you know, Michigan stuck with Shea Patterson last year for better or for worse. Now there's a chance for Joe Milton to step in, see what he can do, and, and we're going to find out. It's going to be really interesting. All right, we're going to take a quick break here, and we'll be back in just a second. Uh, We're going to talk to Colton Pouncey about Michigan State and new coach Mel Tucker. Before we get to our interview with Colton Pouncey, we're going to take a quick break. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. All right, well, since Nick is out for a couple weeks, we thought this would be a good time to go around the Big Ten and uh, check in with some of our other writers. So, of course, we wanted to get the Michigan State perspective from Colton Pouncey, uh, who covers the Spartans for The Athletic. Colton, thank you for joining us. So what's the vibe in East Lansing right now as we are getting close to the uh, the first practices in pads around the Big Ten? Yeah, it's 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 been pretty interesting. Um, you know, people are excited to have football back. You know, the coaches and players are all excited to get back out there. But in terms of what to expect, it's, it's interesting because not many people know <laughs> with this yeah. team. Um, you know, they have... Obviously, a brand new coaching staff with Mel Tucker coming in. But even if it was still D'Antonio leading the way, um, they were going to have to replace a lot of new faces. You know, Brian Lewerke, three-year starters gone. A couple of playmaking receivers and Daryl Stewart and Cody White gone. A lot of defensive stars. You know, three of the starting defensive linemen, Joe Bocci and, you know, some guys in the linebacking core right there. So they're missing a lot of pieces from last year's team, which can be good or bad, right? You have the experience that's gone that you're going to need to replace, but – there's also opportunities for young guys to come in and kind of replace those shoes. So I think it's going to be pretty interesting to see what this team can do in year one. New staff, new faces everywhere. So I'm pretty excited to see how, how they can do. Yeah, you, you talked about that excitement uh, from, from the coaching staff. I'm curious, if you gave Mel Tucker like a truth serum, how do you think he felt about the Big Ten 
changing its mind and deciding to play. Because I wondered if there was a part of him that actually liked having almost like a year zero, you know, like a chance to build the program for a year and get some of his players in the door before they actually have to go out there on the field. Because it is, you know, it's a, a pretty daunting thing when you think about what Mel Tucker is trying to do to, you know, as a first year coach to get all of his, all of his system installed, you know, put, put his blueprint in place for the program and get out there on the field and play. Uh, do, do you think he wanted the challenge of, of playing this year or was there a part of him that maybe would have liked to have some extra time to work on building the program? I, th- I think it's a little of both, honestly. Um, you know, obviously he's a competitor and he, he wants to get on the field and have his guys line up against the best teams in the conference. You know, he's never going to back down from that sort of challenge. But when the season did get postponed initially back in August, you know, they transitioned very quickly back to their you know, he called it their January off-season workout format because when you think about it, you know, they, these guys didn't get here till February, early March. So, you know, new strength coach Jason Novak didn't really have a lot of time to implement some of the things that he wanted to implement and, you know, get his hands on the guys. He didn't really get that chance until the summer when all the players went back home and came back to campus around June. So I think they were excited to, to have that extra downtime and they used the five weeks or so that they had off, um, you know, getting faster, stronger, you know, some agility workouts were kind of emphasized with the new staff here. And then, so that's something that they really wanted to emphasize. And I think they they appreciate the downtime for what it was and, and they definitely spent it well. But I think they're excited to get back on the field and actually show what they can do, because that's when you think about recruiting and what Mel Tucker wants to do with this team. He's going to have to show that on the field. You can only say, OK, well, this is how we're going to use you and. You know, we're going to put you in this spot. This is what we did at Colorado. You can only say that so long. You know, they, these recruits want to see what you can do on the field and they want to see what you're building at Michigan State. So I think they're from that aspect, they're excited to get back on the field for sure. Yeah, that is an interesting, interesting dynamic because there's like that period of time when you have that sort of the new coach energy you know, like the new guy comes in. I, I would imagine, especially at Michigan State, uh, you know, because D'Antonio had been there for so long. And I think, you know, we're not breaking any news to say that things had gotten a little bit stale there you know, with D'Antonio. <laughs> no, right. And, you know, Mel Tucker comes in and, it you know, it's just it's a new energy. And, you know, I'm sure for recruits, you know, there's you know, they're intrigued to see, OK, what's this guy all about? What kind of program is he going to build? You know, sometimes that honeymoon can be pretty short. Uh, you know, sometimes if you know a coach comes in and there's all this new energy, and then if year one is a train wreck, all of a sudden it's you know that that sales pitch doesn't look as attractive now. You know, when you're out there on the recruiting trail, right? What do you think Mel Tucker needs to do this year? Because I mean, it's going to be such a weird season for everybody. Like, there's no mm-hmm. real parallel for a nine game Big Ten season the way they're trying to do this, but. What do you think, what's the bar for like a, you know, a successful, acceptable year one for Mel Tucker? So back when there was a 12 game schedule, I, I always thought the record wasn't going to matter in year one. Um, this was more about laying the foundation for the future, what you want to do here, um, you know, down the road. But now that it's a shortened season, I actually think that works to Michigan State's favor um, you know, just knowing it's eight games, the schedule actually kind of sets up well for them to at least take three, I, I would think. You know, they play Rutgers to open the season. Um, they have a three-game ske- uh, stretch against Indiana, Maryland, and Northwestern, which I think that's all. Th- those are all pretty winnable games in my opinion. So 
If they can get to four and four in this eight game schedule, maybe you win the fifth one in the the crossover game during championship weekend. That's a great season, in my opinion, um, for for year one. Considering that they didn't have spring, uh, fall camp was cut short. Um, you know, guys are in classes now, so it's kind of not the same thing as as a fall camp would be. I know they're using this time to get those practice reps in, but it's really not the same thing. So all things considered, if they can win four to five games in this year, I think that's considered a win. And even if it's if it's three, if you're showing that you're competitive in some of those games against Michigan and Penn State and Ohio State. Now, I don't think you're going to win those games, but if you show that you're competitive, unlike last year, you know, 44-10 and, you know, all these blowouts that they had last year with D'Antonio, um, I think that's an improvement if you can show that you can – you know, at least compete for three quarters and maybe the game slips away in the fourth or something like that. I think that's those are all positives and things you can build on going into uh, 2021. Is Michigan State definitely a cut above Rutgers and Maryland still? Because uh, it kind of <laughs> feels like they're almost like in no man's land where, you know, you've got these teams at the top of the division, obviously Ohio State, which is you know, at a whole different level than anybody else in the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. You, know, you got Penn State and, and Michigan that are kind of fighting on that second tier. Mm-hmm. And then you, you've got the teams who have been at the bottom. Uh, but, you know, Mike Loxley at Maryland, they, they got off to a hot start last year and then kind of faded. You know, Greg Schiano at, at Rutgers, that's going to be a rebuilding project for sure. Uh, but just, you know, from a talent standpoint and the roster that Mark D'Antonio left there, uh, you know, is Michigan State, is Michigan State, let me put it this way, are they closer to the top or are they closer to the bottom in the division? I think right now they're probably closer to the bottom, um, but I would still say that they're a step above, you know, the Rutgers and teams like that. Um, mm-hmm. I do think Greg Schiano is, you know, he's going to get some Jersey recruits there and, you know, slowly turn that around. But right now it's still a work in progress. Um, Loxley's doing some good things at Maryland. He's recruiting well, getting some guys. I think they're going to be much better than they've been, um, but probably still, you know, middle to bottom of the pack in the Big Ten. Uh, Purdue, we'll see what they can do. They have Rondale Moore back and. Some guys, but uh, I still think with this Michigan State team, I think there's talent. It's just young talent. So mm-hmm. there might be growing pains this year. You might have to, you know, see the improvement might come slower than you'd like to see. Um, some of the upperclassmen on the team, we'll see how they do. There are a lot of unknowns there. You know, a guy like Rocky Lombardi at quarterback is probably going to be the projected starter. Redshirt Jr., um, you know, if he, if he slips up in those first two games, I, don't, I think they'll probably – make the switch to a younger quarterback. Um, you know, Peyton Thorne and Theo Day are two guys that have kind of been waiting for their opportunity as well. So I, I, I do think that there is talent on this team. It's just younger. And if those guys are all on the field at once, you know, they're probably not going to go to the Big Ten Championship right. this year. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I think there are pieces to build around with this with this group for sure. Yeah. You wrote about Rocky Lombardi recently. Uh, you know, it sounds like he's a guy who's just kind of waited his turn. You know, he got mm-hmm. thrown into the fire uh, early in his career, had some ups and downs. And, you know, that does happen sometimes, like when a young player gets thrown out there. Uh, if they struggle, you sort of get this picture in your mind, and it's hard to break that. You know, mm-hmm. people sometimes just conclude that, well, okay, this is who this guy is. You know, we saw him play two years ago or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, what What's your sense for, you know, for where he's at? Um, you know, do, do you feel like this is kind of his time, or or do you feel in a way that, Maybe that you know Mel Tucker's going to want to go with a you know a younger quarterback, somebody like Theo Day. How do you see that quarterback situation shaking out? Yeah, it, this has been an interesting battle for sure. I, I think when you when you talk about Rocky Lombardi, 
there's sort of this narrative that surrounds him based on that 2018 season. You know, obviously that's when Brian Lewerke hurt his shoulder. Back then, Rocky was a redshirt freshman and was forced to uh, start some games for Michigan State in October and November. And honestly, that was probably before he was ready to be a featured player. Um, I think the thing with him is he was so good against Purdue in his first career start. Through 318 yards, uh, which is the second most by a Spartan quarterback making his first career start. Um, and then also two touchdowns to go along with that. So it was that was such an impressive debut that he had a lot of guys feeling excited. You know, they were Spartan Stadium was chanting his name after that game. Uh, the lock, the guys in the locker room were doing the same. They like dumped water on him and were cheering, jumping up and down after that game. So that was such a high. But the rest of the season was just nothing but lows, you know. And part of that was the old staff. Where they were trying to decide which guy to play. Lewerke was in one week. He would struggle. They would put Rocky back in. He would struggle. It kind of messed with the confidence of both guys. And also that offense was just completely injured. You know, they had injuries to every major offensive position group. And uh, it could, you, it definitely, you, they felt the effects on the field, I would say. And so I think based on that 2018 season, it's sort of hard to evaluate Rocky Lombardi as a quarterback because that was two years ago. And that game experience was really valuable for him. He got to see what he could, what he needed to fix, what he needed to improve on. And really the past two off seasons, he's been working to do that behind the scenes. And that was kind of the, the angle I went with my story. Um, you know, he's been flying out to Arizona to work with a private quarterback coach, um, working on throwing mechanics and footwork and balance and just kind of the things that he struggled with, uh, his accuracy downfield. He's got a really strong arm, but he just can't really command it. So I think that's something that he specifically wanted to work on. Um, now, obviously, we don't have access to to practice or tape or anything like that right now. Um We'll, we'll see how far he's come as a quarterback, but just based on things I've heard from other people, it seems like he's really putting the work to position himself to be the starter. You know, Michigan State's kind of running him out on, on social media, promoting him a lot and the schedule release and team videos and things like that. So I think you can kind of read the tea leaves there that he's probably going to at least be the guy to start. Um, but I do think that there's a chance that a guy like Peyton Thorne or Theo Dick catch him. You know, he's going to have to perform these next couple of weeks heading up to the season opener. Um, he's going to have to lock, lock down that job for sure because those guys are trying to come for it as well. So it'll be really interesting to shake, see how this all shakes out. But I think for now, you probably pencil in Rocky as the guy. Yeah, that's one of the interesting things when you've got a new coach is like there's no, you know, predetermined loyalty. Like, oh, well, this, you know, this is my guy. I recruited mm-hmm. this guy. I mean, everybody sort of comes in on an even playing field, and you know, a mm-hmm. lot of times. Uh, you know, a coach in that situation might be quick to uh, to make a change if things aren't going well. I you know I think mm-hmm. you wrote about this that uh, for Michigan State one of the big challenges is to be able to be more explosive offensively. You know, mm-hmm. and I've written about this with Michigan time and time again about how <laughs> Michigan wants more big plays, and then I look at Michigan State's numbers like, well, they really need more big plays. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what What's your sense for what the what the offensive identity or, or, or philosophy is going to be under Mel Tucker, because, you know, again, Michigan state had such a, you know, a defined identity with Mark D'Antonio. You knew exactly what they were. It was, it was very predictable. It was very bland. What's it, what's it going to be now? You know, what do you see as the identity that's taken shape for this offense? Yeah. For, I mean, for years at Michigan state, especially early on in the uh, D'Antonio era, it, this was a ground and pound team. Um, they would get guys like Javon Ringer and Le'Veon Bell feeding the ball 40 times and, and let them go to work. But I, I don't think that's really 
unless you're Wisconsin and you're just pumping out, you know, quality offensive linemen and running backs, it's probably not something that you can expect in, in 2020. So they're going to need to spread it out a little bit more. That's something that, you know, some of the guys that we talked to yesterday, the players last night um, talked about. Uh, Jay Johnson is a guy that I think he likes balance. Um, he's a quarterback through and through. He played at Northern Iowa um, and actually beat out Kurt Warner for the starting job there back in the day. So he's been a coach for a long time. He understands the importance of, you know, setting up setting up the run to, to pass and vice versa and things like that. So they definitely preach balance is, you know, kind of my early takeaways. Um, but I also think they're going to want to spread the ball out to the playmakers that they have. And one of the things I wrote about today, this team, this offense has a lot more speed than in recent years. Mm-hmm. And that goes back to the young talent just waiting for an opportunity because for years it was Felton Davis, uh, Daryl Stewart, Cody White as your three main receivers. And those are all, you know, they're quality guys. They've each gotten a look at the NFL, at least on, on some level. But uh, they're not really, you know, burners. They're not really going to put fear into a, an opposing defense based on speed alone. And D'Antonio mentioned last year with, with Stewart and Cody White that some of their receivers were struggling to separate from cornerbacks and, you know, didn't really say go this far. But I think he was kind of alluding to the fact that they needed some more speed. Uh, Jalen Naylor was hurt. He missed, you know, eight or nine games there. Uh, that was definitely a big a big loss for the team because the speed threat was supposed to kind of balance the possession receivers that they had on offense last year. So now, you know, Felton was gone after the 2018 season. Cody White and Daryl Seward are gone now. There are three openings in that starting lineup. I think Jalen Naylor has one of them just based on his past experience and his speed and what he brings to the offense. Um, a guy like Trey Mosley, West Bloomfield product, you know, he's a tr- true sophomore this year. Uh, kind of cracked the rotation midway through the year and kind of entrenched himself in that receiving core. So I think he'll be a guy to watch. And Jaden Reed, who's a transfer from Western Michigan, was a freshman All-American in 2018, had to sit out last season. You know, he's a threat in the punt return game. Um, he's a, a deep threat uh, in space. And he can kind of do a lot of things for an offense. And I think he actually might be the best receiver on the team. So this Michigan State offense is going to look completely different based on the guys they have splitting out wide. But like we mentioned earlier, it's, it's going to depend on which quarterback is getting them the ball. But I think there's a lot to like with this group for sure. Yeah. So last thing here, um, recruiting. I think that a big part of the excitement, at least from my my perspective here in Ann Arbor uh, about Mel Tucker, was the idea that he was going to come in and sort of modernize the recruiting approach at Michigan State. Uh, you know, and, and we've seen that and you've written about that like, with the graphics they've done. You know, it, it just it feels more like a 2020 college football recruiting operation now at, at Michigan State. And I think, you know, we all understand, uh, as our colleague Ari Wasserman uh, always reminds <laughs> us, that the stars yep. do matter. And if Mel Tucker is going to win at, at Michigan State, He's going to have to recruit at, at a high level. Um, so right now, Michigan State's class uh, is 11th in the Big Ten, 53rd nationally. So, you know, we we haven't really seen it yet. Uh, but it's also, you know, so early in the timing of when D'Antonio stepped down and when Tucker came in. I mean, you know, of course, everything that's happened since then that we all know about. Uh, mm-hmm. it, you know, it's just been a, you know, a crazy time. But where do things stand uh, recruiting-wise with Michigan State? Or do we even know yet? Is it too early to even you know draw any conclusions about that? No, I, I think you can kind of start to see the pieces getting put together there. Um, I, the first thing was they needed to modernize their recruiting efforts. So one thing that they did 
you know, heavy emphasis on social media, recruiting graphics. They hired a creative director to run that, and he's been really good putting together a lot of good stuff for the for the team and what they send out to recruits. And that that's that's huge. You know, I think it's kind of like, oh, social media, what that's not going to do much. But when you're recruiting nationally like Michigan State is, and you, especially during a time when you can't get guys on campus to visit, you know, you you have to rely on those graphics and staying in touch with them every day. And the little things really add up over time. So I think that first and foremost, that was a big thing. Uh, you know, each assistant coach has their own recruiting sort of position coach on the side who kind of helps them with that. Um, so I think those are two things that just need to be modernized in general when you're trying to recruit in 2020. So those were big first steps for this program. And I think from here, you know, once they get, once they're able to go out to, you know, the living rooms of players and they're able to get guys on campus, I think that's when you'll start to see the impact of this new staff. You know, they're very personable. Um, they do try to stay in contact either over the phone or through text or FaceTime, whatever, when they can. But actually having those in-person relationships is going to be huge, especially since they are recruiting nationally. You know, I think that was part of the first year strategy here, knowing that you're kind of going to come into Michigan kind of late. And, you know, Penn State's kind of made their mark in the state with this recruiting class already. Michigan's doing well in Michigan. So I think they kind of saw that and were like, OK, we got to go to different states. So they've gone to New Jersey and gotten some kids and Louisiana and they're trying to recruit nationally at this point in time, I think that will pay off in the long run. You know, just opening up the map, you know, the the increase of technology and social media, um, those are all baby steps. But in the long run, when they're able to get guys on campus and they're able to, to go into living rooms to talk to parents and try to sell their vision, I think that'll all pay off for sure. All right. Well, Mel Tucker's first shot at Jim Harbaugh and Michigan, it comes early. Halloween, yeah. <laughs> uh, Halloween. At Michigan Stadium, no fans in the stands, but once you get outside the stadium, it should still be pretty crazy in Ann Arbor. So we'll look forward to that. Colton, thanks for joining the podcast, and thank you, everybody, for checking out the show. You can read uh, all our work, Colton's stuff, my stuff, Nick's stuff, uh, all of our work at The Athletic. Thank you for supporting that. Thanks for checking out the show, and we'll be back next week on the RPM Podcast.